Hi, I'm Kristen, and you're listening to A Public Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you through our social media at A Public Church or through our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. So probably not how you expected to spend your Mother's Day, but thank you so much for being with us here. And, and look, I understand the season is not ideal really for any of us. Graduates, especially college graduates, thought about you yesterday as many of you would have been walking across the stage. And I'm sure the range of emotions is broad as you're disappointed and frustrated. And I just hope that you can still find some joy in the midst of this. And and we hurt with you and we're hoping that you'll get to walk across the stage later on this summer, wherever your university is located. And, And maybe you're out of a job, maybe your hours have been reduced, maybe you're in a different job. For most of us, this season is far from ideal. And look, it's similar for us as a church. Like on Mother's Day, we'd love to all be in a room gathering, having our ladies stand up and honoring them, but it's not where we are right now. So I just want to encourage us to know that even though it's not ideal, our team is working really hard to make it special. I mean, the the video just for moms and for spiritual moms and natural mothers or physical mothers that we had today. And that was incredible. And if you missed that, it's going to be on YouTube later or with the technical difficulties, we'll have it up later just to honor you guys. And we're trying to make this day special despite the circumstances we don't want. And I think about public worship. Last week they had worship in a creek. This week they're in Tessa's apartment. Thank you, Tessa, for your generosity and let us use our apartment. But I say these things to just let us know, look, it's not ideal, but we're trying to make it special. So let's still soak in this season. And if this is your first time with us, or maybe you've watched before and clicked off before the talk, I want to let you know we're in a series based on this question, how do I lead myself? And this is not a series or a question that's Jesus followers only. This is a question and a series for everyone who falls in this category, human because we all need to know how to lead ourselves. To illustrate, I want to ask you this question. Is it easier to see your friend about to ruin their life or when I, you, are about to ruin your life? I mean, just think about that. You can answer in the comments. Is it easier for me to see like, oh yeah, you're about to wreck your life or to see when I'm about to wreck my life? Duh, it's way easier to see when you are about to wreck your life. And so the reality is it's difficult to lead ourselves. And we started this series with a question of how to lead others and quickly realized it was more pressing to ask, how do I lead myself? Because... It's really easier oftentimes to lead others than it is me. Next question, just to help us lean in a little bit more. Have you almost blown it? Like, has there been a season in your life where you almost made a life-altering mistake? And if you had made it, you would still be enduring the ripple of that, uh, the consequences of that action even today. Have you almost blown it? If you didn't, what was it that stopped you? Or maybe some of you are going, Actually, I did blow it. (laughs) And it's not a ripple effect. It's like a tidal wave of consequences that I'm facing even right now as I'm watching this in my living room, in my car, and I can feel it. What could have stopped you? So the rest of our series title is called Lessons from a King. And today we're going to look at a scene in King David's life. He's our king. He's the greatest king in Israel's history. And we're going to see that David almost blew it. So we ask the question, what, or actually, who stopped him? And now for those of you and those of us who have blown it, here's reality. Part six, this is part four today. Part six, he did blow it. Like he made a life-altering mistake. So no matter where we're at, no matter how we've navigated our own life, this series is going to touch us 
at some point. But today we really want to go, what stopped him from blowing it? Because today's lesson from a king has the potential to keep us from making a life-altering mistake. Now, perhaps your experience with churches and people like me as someone standing up to give a talk and, and preaching down on you and telling you how I've got life figured out and that you need to not ruin your own life. It's not me. And that's not today. I don't know if anybody else needs this talk, but I know I do. Shout out to my mama. She's so full of wisdom and something my mom told me all the time growing up is she said, Todd, it takes years to build a good reputation, but it just takes a few seconds to ruin it, to throw it all away. And here's what I know. I'm less than 30 seconds from throwing it all away. And so are you. So I know that I need this talk and I think that's why we can all benefit from this lesson from a king. So you have your Bible or Bible app. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 25. And just to give a little bit of context, David, our king, his whole life has been flipped upside down. <laughs> Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? For him, it wasn't COVID-19. For him, it was the fact that his the king, the current king, his supposed boss who he's working for is trying to kill him. Like David has literally had to flee. He's wandering around the wilderness because Saul is literally trying to kill him. Saul is the name of the king, if you're just catching up with us. And actually, this particular chapter is bracketed by two opportunities that David has to kill Saul. He has two opportunities where he can kill the current king and take the kingdom by force. He doesn't do it. More on that in the season finale. He, he doesn't do that. And so in the this chapter that's in the middle, I'm sure David's like many of us. He's mad at God, and yet also realizing that God is his only hope. He's frustrated by the uncontrollables he's facing. His emotions probably feel like a roller coaster. Add to it that this chapter begins with this spiritual mentor, the, the spiritual leader of all of Israel. His name was Samuel. He died. So that adds even more to the inner mental turmoil that David had to be feeling as we arrive on this scene in 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting in verse 2. There's a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of David, was crude and mean in all his dealings. Now, a little audience participation. I know you're in your living room, but on the count of three, kids, you got to be loud. Get your parents into this. Could we all say Nabal? Ready? One, two, three. Nabal. All right. Now, our other character is Abigail. So one, two, three. Abigail. Look, if you miss everything, you want to be Abigail. You do not want to be Nabal. <laughs> So it describes Abigail. This, this translation says that she is sensible and beautiful. If you dig into the original language, then she is discerning. She is wise. She's full of discretion. In other words, if we go back to part one of the series, we talked about 1 Samuel 16, 7, where it says, man, humans, we may look on the outside, but God looks on the inside of a person. God sees what's going on in their heart. And the reality is that Abigail was beautiful on the outside and she was beautiful on the inside. And then she is contrasted with her husband. <laughs> he is described, Nabal, as crude and mean in all his dealings. We could say he's stupid, wicked, senseless. I mean, these are definitions if you look it up in the original language. And the reality is that a lot of the way he's described implies that he breaks relationships. 
His actions make it difficult to have any kind of meaningful, really, interaction. We'll see that later on. And definitely a meaningful relationship with him. So we have this contrast between Abigail and Nabal. And then the story goes on. And here David enters it in verse 4. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Hey, ask your own men and they will tell you this is true. So would you be so kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you have on hand with us and with your friend, David. Here's what David says. David says, hey guys, like, we took care of you earlier on, so could you just be generous? I'm not asking you to, to go to the store, to go to Aldi and buy some stuff. Just look around, see what you got. I mean, I know it's time for a feast, and, and could you just share out of your abundance? Now, here's a question I would love for you guys to discuss in the comments. Do you think David is being too forward, or do you like how direct he is? So if you could comment and say, too forward, I'm uncomfortable, because David's pretty clear. He's like, hey guys, I didn't serve you for nothing. Like, I served you, so I expect some payback now. Could I get some stuff? Too forward. Or maybe some of you guys are saying, man, I'm going to aid on the Enneagram. He's not even direct enough. He should have just gone and taken his stuff. So you guys can talk through that. And we'll get to verse 10, Nabal's response. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. The message paraphrase says he tore into them. And he goes on to say, who does the son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Now the ball is just hurling insults at David. And the phrase, who are breaking away, it means rebel. Now think about this, where this story is located in the narrative. Just prior to this, David had a chance to kill Saul. I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm going to wait on God's timing. And now, Nabal says, you're a rebel. David, you're just out here running around because you rebelled against the king. You left his protection. And David, I, I would be so mad. I mean, when you, I'm like, I didn't rebel. He's, he's trying to kill me. He's chasing me around. I spared his life. Like, I'm a good person. Why are you attacking me like this? Like, I would be so mad. And David is. When David hears words of this, it literally says, he tells his men, hey, get your swords, 400 of them. Boom, they are ready. And they are going to go get their vengeance. If you go down to verse 20 and 21, David is angry. He is overflowing with rage. And he even kind of swears and has this uh, um, oath and says, look, man, may God punish me if I don't kill every single male that is among Nabal's group. We're going after them. What's interesting in this narrative is that while David was filled with rage, God was planning a rescue mission to save David from himself. We read about that in verse 14. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail. Remember her? Beautiful, sensible, wise. David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and look, we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. Notice this last line. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. <laughs> it's so clear 
that these men recognize Abigail's wisdom. They look to her for leadership. I love that in a culture that devalues women, Abigail rises as a leader, as someone with wisdom. And they're like, Abigail, you're our hope. You've got to fix this. What are you going to do? And notice what they say about Nabal at the end. They're like, man, he's so stubborn. He's so harsh. He's so difficult. We can't even talk to him. So Abigail doesn't. <laughs> She's like, oh, cool. It says that with hey, she gathers a bunch of stuff and she takes off towards David. She tells her servants, hey, here's what you guys need to do. And then we see in verse 23, it says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Now, for those of us who like things fair, you may be kind of mad because you're like, Abigail, it's not your fault. Why are you taking the blame? This is phenomenal leadership. Leadership says, hey, it's my fault, sometimes even when it isn't your fault. She's an incredible leader. As she starts off by saying, hey, this is on me. She goes on in verse 25. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. I mean, she just lays it on like he's not smart. He's difficult. He's a fool. And Nabal means fool. And then she says this, but I never even saw the young men she sent. In other words, she distances herself from Nabal's heir. It says, basically, give me a chance, David. Verse 26, now my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Guys, please don't miss the brilliance of Abigail. Here's what she says here. She says, hey, David, remember what just happened? You had a chance to kill Saul and take the kingdom by force. And you said, no, I'm going to let vengeance, I'm going to let my salvation, I'm going to let my rescue be in the hands of my God. And so she's implying, say, so you wouldn't kill the king, but you're going to kill this worthless guy? I mean, she is so brilliant. And then she asks for forgiveness and she offers restitution in verse 27. Here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you are fighting the Lord's battles and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. She's calling out his character. She's saying, look, trust in God. He's got you. He is going to reward you. And then she does what wise women have been doing for centuries. She plays to a man's ego. Come on, ladies, right? I mean, people have been doing this and we fall for it every time, don't we, guys? We're like, oh, yes. I mean, she says, and you've not done any evil your whole life. And David's like, well, actually, uh, thank you for pointing that out. I am a pretty good leader, future king. I mean, and he falls for it just like we all do, guys. Come on. And verse 29, she gets even more brilliant. She says, even when you are chased by those to seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. That last line had to hit him in his soul. Because you know what she was reminding of? His greatest victory over Goliath. He says, remember, David, you killed the giant with a sling and a stone. But David didn't kill Goliath because he was awesome. David killed Goliath because he trusted in God. And God gave him the strength. God is the giant slayer. And so she said, David, remember, the secret to your success isn't how awesome you are, even though I just kind of pandered to your ego. The secret to your success is trust in God. So why not trust in God with this worthless fellow, Nabal? <laughs> and then she says, verse 30, 
When the Lord has done all he has promised and has made you a leader of Israel, this line, don't miss it. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. What Abigail does here is she shifts his point of view. She recenters David from impulse to the long view. David is just a man of impulse at this point. I'm filled with rage. I got my 400 dudes. We're all testosterone up and we're going to go kill some people and everybody's going to die. And she centers him from impulse to the long view by saying, hey, David, don't let this be a blemish. The, the talk of pangs of conscience, here's what she's saying, David, if you do this for the rest of your life on sleepless nights, you're going to be laying in bed wanting to undo this. And you're going to be, and, and you can't do that. Like, like once you cross this line, David, this blood will be on your hands forever. And nothing you can do can remove this error from your record. It will haunt you as long as you live. And so verse 32, David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. David says, Abigail, you didn't come here on your own. God sent you. God is using you to rescue me. And then he goes on to say, thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive by morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, go home in peace. I've heard what you've said. We will not kill your husband. The message paraphrase says, she literally, David tells her, you've stopped me in my tracks from doing something that I would regret from the rest of my life. And there's an overlooked detail alert. So many times we're reading the Bible and it's like, oh, it's so boring. No, but it's because we sometimes just miss the details. Overlooked detail alert is the fact that David says this. Um, he, he says, look, bless you from keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance. And then he says, the Lord has kept me from hurting you. Time out. He specifically said, I'm going to kill all males. Now, all of a sudden, David is not living with impulse. He now has the perspective of the long view. He goes, man, if I kill every man in the boss camp, I'm going to kill her husband. If she has a son, I'm going to kill him. If she has a brother, I'm going to kill him. If she has friends that are men, I'm going to kill them. I'm not just going to hurt these men. I'm going to hurt Abigail. Do you notice his perspective has shifted so much? And so David says, I'm going to listen to you, Abigail. You are wise. <laughs> to finish the story, Abigail goes home. Nabal is just drunk, drunk. I mean, he's throwing this lavish party. He's out. She's like, I'm not going to talk to him. He sobers up the next morning. She tells him what she did. And it literally says his heart like becomes a stone with inside of him. Somehow it shocked him. It says 10 days later, God killed him. You know what? God killed him. Here's the reality. God, he's got us. God's a God of justice. And we can trust him even in the face of immense injustice, that he's going to set things right one day. And, and he just happened to set this one thing right in David's life quickly. A lot of us are going to be waiting, maybe even until Jesus comes back. But he is a God of justice, and he will set things right so we can leave vengeance in the hands of God. And then <laughs> David marries Abigail, and she is so happy to upgrade from a worthless, hard-to-talk-to guy to a good-looking future king, who actually listens to her. I mean, this is a pretty good upgrade for Abigail when her husband had passed away. So what's the lesson 
from a king in the midst of this. I think to see the lesson, we got to focus on the change in point of view as David moved from impulse to suddenly he was thinking not in terms of impulse anymore, but he was thinking about the long view. That's what Abigail did for David. So I just want to propose a question that's helping me. I think it can help all of us make that same shift from impulse to long view. And the question is this, how would future me advise current me? Write that down if you're taking notes, if you don't mind. This is the question of the talk. How would future me advise current me? She reminded David of his future. She said, remember, you're going to be the future king of Israel. She said, take a moment and just think about where you're going to be. Think about where God is moving you. And think about how you're going to look back on this day and either go, man, I am so glad I didn't do it, or I'm filled with regret that I killed them all. She refocused him. Away from impulse, I'm filled with rage, to how would future me advise current me? Here's the problem, at least in my life. Oftentimes, current me undermines future me. Anybody with me? Come on, you can share in the comments. Oftentimes, I'm so focused on what I want or I'm filled with rage. It's just this impulse mentality of I'm going to do what I want, when I want it, that I actually undermine future me. This is a problem. It's such a big problem that in Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, he actually dedicated Rule 7 to this idea. Rule 7, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Or you could say easiest or what I want. Or my impulse, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. There is an opportunity for us to lead ourselves in a way that current me no longer undermines future me. And and it starts with this question. How would future me advise current me to help us understand? I actually brought something that my mom gave me a couple of Christmases ago. Shout out to my mom. She made this pretty phenomenal blanket check this out so basically this takes me from little league to high school not major league anything um but she kept everything maybe your mom's like that and so um notice it starts in in basically kindergarten in t-ball here's the trick i mean kids if you're five six seven it's so hard for you to be here and think about the impact that your decisions here are going to have on you when you're in elementary school. That is incredibly difficult. And then for those of you who are in elementary school, basically this line, it's so hard for you to understand, man, what I do here is going to impact how I am in middle school, that I'm actually going to be reaping in middle school what I sowed in elementary school. And then middle school students, how in the world, in the midst of all the hormones and emotions you're going through, how do you think, man, I'm setting myself up for either success or failure in high school? Ah, and and then here's the real challenge. You high school seniors, you're disappointed. You're frustrated. You've lost so much and I get it. But how do you down there at the end, as I'm a high school senior, how do you begin to realize that, hey, what you do as a high school senior actually has an incredible impact on who I am right now as a 33 year old? Like what I did there, some of the habits that I struggle with there, man, they're still with me today. Some of the successes, the ways I set myself up for success there, they're still with me today. And then if we move on from the blanket and just get back to where I'm at right now, how in the world as a 33-year-old do I understand that what I do today is going to impact how I interact with my boys when they're 33? Man, it's so hard to shift from what I want and the impulse to the long view so hard for us to lead ourselves well. So do you have an Abigail in your life? Are you accessible enough for people 
to speak into your life. And when I, just for me, when I am focused on impulse, am I accessible enough for someone to come in and advocate for future me? That's what Abigail did. And look, it just comes down to this question, am I Nabal or David? Nabal was so ill-tempered, he was so difficult that they weren't even going to talk to him. But David, even in a fit of rage, he listened to Abigail. Maybe it's because she was beautiful. Hey, who knows? I'm not judging the guy, but he listened to her. Will we listen to people who show up in our lives and advocate for future us? And it's at this point that we have to remember who sent Abigail. God sent Abigail. God was planning a rescue mission to save David from himself. And look, for some of you, maybe this talk is just that. Maybe this talk is a rescue mission that God has sent to save you from something you're literally going to do this afternoon that you're going to do this evening. And know this, the Abigails, they're awesome, but they're going to let us down. This question, how does future me advise current me? It's a great question, but it's going to let us down. But Jesus will never let us down. And I just want to read a little bit about Jesus' life in Hebrews chapter 4. Here's what we can know about Jesus. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus has faced all of the trials to choose impulse over the long view. In fact, um, Whitney and I have been reading through John, and there's a couple details that I've never seen before. In John 12, 27, Jesus is headed to the cross, and he makes this statement, Now my soul is deeply troubled. And then he makes this statement in John 13, 21. As it repeats itself, Jesus says, it says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled. Why is he deeply troubled? Because he was about to be executed on the Roman form of torture called the cross. And he was going, I'm troubled. This is going to be hard. He's like, I'd rather not do it. (laughs) But Jesus embraced the pain and he chose to play the long game. In fact, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 12, here's what it says Jesus did. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Jesus embraced the pain. And played the long game. Because when he didn't want to go to the cross, when he was like, man, Father, is there any other way? When he was troubled, he knew it was worth it for you and for me. Because the only way that we could ever be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with God was for him to die. And therefore, because of that, if we go to the beginning of verse 2, how do we persevere? How do we choose the long view? How do we let think about future me? And let that set up current me for success. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then with the example of Jesus, you won't become weary and give up. Jesus is with us. And part of fixing our eyes on Jesus is getting into his word and discovering phenomenal stories like Abigail, Nabal, and David in 1 Samuel 25. So look, today is an opportunity for us to set ourselves up for success, for us to begin to lead ourselves well. Future us is a huge fan of this talk. And at the end of this scene in David's life, future David was going... I'm so thankful for Abigail, most importantly. I'm so thankful that God sent Abigail. And so God's pursuing each of us. I've been so challenged by wrestling with this and just thinking about, man, how how does future me really advise current me? And there's some changes that I need to make this week. And 
and I don't think I'm alone, and let's just remember, <laughs> Jesus is with us. And if you don't follow Jesus, I just want to say this one more time, the Abigails will let us down. The question we've talked about is going to let us down, but Jesus will never fail us. So I invite you to follow Jesus today. There's going to be a number on the screen, 423-665-9317. If you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, questions about the fact that he died and rose again, please call that number and our team would love to talk with you. And we're going to end our gathering simply by worshiping through a song called Run to the Father by Cody Carnes. And I just want to read the first two lines. It says, I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. Today is not just a challenge to lead ourselves, to think about future me. Today is an invitation to run to the Father. The Father who embraced the long view of sending His Son to die for us. The Father who I think has caused some of us to tune in at whatever moment you're at in your life because He is pursuing you and He says, will you run to me? So if at any point in this song you want to run to the Father, text that number and you can follow Jesus today. And for those of us who follow Jesus, let's allow this song to become our prayer.